Welcome everyone to another episode of the IOIT podcast. My name is Sriram and as always I'm joined by Jim Brent and Edward Gordon. Hi guys. Hey everyone, how's it going? Hey, how you doing? How's everyone doing? How's the stock market been treating everyone? I have been steering clear. <laughs> yeah, as this is recording, GameStop is going on and it's pretty interesting stuff. It does really play well into what we've been talking about of the exchange of information and the speed at which it exchanges. Today, we're going to continue on that conversation of how the internet is evolving and how people connect. Actually, I think it might have been our very first episode on the IOIT podcast, the 5G technology. And that, that technology has really, really advanced from when we recorded that episode back in or end of 2019 to now. And so we figured it might be a good time to revisit 5G and see what all the hubbub is all about. We should start by reviewing 5G and its technologies. Edward, can you remind us what the promises of 5G were or what the standard says it is? Super fast. That's what it boils down to. Technically, it's the fifth generation of the wireless communication protocol. The promises were 10 gigabits per second, be able to be anywhere with speeds as fast as Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think right now, pretty much most of us have 4G LTE. 3G was basic internet, 2G was talk and text, and 1G yep. was carrier pigeons, I'm assuming. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's interesting because in the 70s and the 80s, they came mm-hmm. out with the first cell phone system, mm-hmm. right? And then in the 90s, it moved into that 2G phase. Mm-hmm. And then in the 2000s came the 3G, and really, in some ways, what took it off, maybe one could make the argument that the introduction of the iPhone in 2007 really made it so that these smartphones where you can be able to send messages and be able to download apps, mm-hmm. now you have that 3G system. And then the 4G now allowing you to be able to do video, be able to have FaceTime and all these other video conferencing over the internet. Now we're into this 5G that's the next level. Mm -hmm. Jim, when we talked about it end of 2019, there was a lot of buzz around 5G at that time. All the carriers were talking about 5G and the phone manufacturers and Qualcomm especially was talking about 5G. Can you remind us at that time? What sure. you said? Yeah, at that time I had a little bit of a rant because that's right when AT&T came out with their 5GE saying it was an evolution from 4G. And again, AT&T and other companies are not actually the people that write the standard. They had increased the speeds, but again, not up to the 5G speeds or using any technology that was set to be a 5G platform. And so I had a bit of a gripe with that for calling it 5GE saying evolution. And then two years later, I'm calmed down a little bit after that (laughs) and went back and thought about it. And yeah, they were above 4G LTE, but they weren't quite into the realm of 5G yet. Mm -hmm. But again, if we go back and listen to that other podcast that I had said 4G, they did the same thing. They jumped the gun and 4G LTE was technically 4G limited And Mm -hmm. then 5GE was almost the actual 4G. But now they are starting to use some of the technologies in cell phones and the carriers are starting to use them in order to actually call it true 5G. 
Jim, not to support you too much, but the National Advising Review Board actually did recommend that AT&T stop using because they said it was misleading. It didn't hold true. And so there was this national group that agreed to say that it wasn't fulfilling the necessary checkboxes in a way. It was the IOAT podcast's co-host, Jim Brent, leading the charge on that fight. (laughs) Absolutely. When when the history books are written, Jim, your name and Edward and my names in the subheadings will be there. Now that we've talked about what wasn't 5G, but nowadays, like we said, this is a year and a half later after we had done that podcast, and now... Mm -hmm. 5G truly is out there and rolling out. And so what's the technology out there that is actually saying, yes, this is 5G? 2020 was a big year for 5G technology. In March of 2020, you had the Samsung Galaxy S20, which was the first 5G phone that was out there. And then you had the iPhone 12 and iPhone 12 Pro. They also had 5G technology. When people talk about 5G technology, they are talking about multiple different technological advances that combine to provide these high speeds. One of those things is high frequencies. So using millimeter wavelengths to transmit information. The lower generations used low band frequencies such as 600 to 850 and in that range. What other frequencies besides that does 5G use? So interestingly, 5G bands are all over the place. The millimeter wave is the super high-end technology, and that is at the high gigahertz. You have 28 gigahertz, 29 gigahertz, 39, 40 gigahertz. So that is the high-end, the millimeter wave. And then you also have C-band technology, which is 3.8, 3.3 gigahertz. And then you also have the low-band frequency, so not just the 800s and the 900s that were used before for 4G LTE, but also 600 megahertz. I think T-Mobile is using 600 megahertz to roll out some of these 5G towers. What they're doing is, this is where the second part of the 5G technology comes in, What they're doing is they're not only taking advantage of the high bandwidth they get from the high frequencies, they are combining multiple bandwidths and multiple frequencies to basically create a larger pipe. So bandwidth, as people know, it's how big a pipe you have to funnel information through. And if you combine multiple frequencies, you're basically combining multiple pipes of different diameters to create one big hose to funnel information, whether that be 4K video or Xbox Game Pass, whatever that people tend to need this high-speed technology for. So you're talking about using this big pipeline in order to pump more information. Mm -hmm. So say I go to my browser and I type YouTube into my phone. How is it faster using that bigger pipeline than before? So what happens is that for every frequency band, you have it divided into different channels. So for Wi-Fi, you have 11 channels that are about 10 megahertz each. And the frequency bandwidth that you're talking about, that 10 megahertz, tells you how much megabits of data you can send. There are multiple things that go into it, but roughly what you're talking about is the frequency bandwidth correlates with megabits of data. 
And so if you have a bigger frequency bandwidth, you can put more megabits, megabytes of data through, and in some cases, gigabytes of data through. And lower frequencies typically tend to have smaller bandwidth. Higher frequencies, like the gigahertz frequencies, tend to have larger bandwidth. And so you can put more data through. So I just use the example of me typing YouTube in. Would then the carrier send all the information over that one channel to me? Or would it use all 10 channels breaking up all the information so that it can all arrive at my phone quicker? Yeah. So what you're talking about is that channel aggregation and frequency aggregation. So it can be that if you have that millimeter wave available to you and the video is some 4K cat video, it's able to use that millimeter wave bandwidth and use some bandwidth in the 900 megahertz and you combine five channels in the 900 megahertz bandwidth and a couple of channels in the gigahertz so that you get that full 4K 60 frames per second cat video right on your phone. So what the carrier will actually do is take the information in from the internet, mm-hmm. break it into the different frequencies in the low band, in the millimeter wave band, send it all to your phone, and your phone will then take all that information in, combine it back together so that you get a nice web page and a nice video. Yeah, and we are oversimplifying it, but there's a lot of stuff that goes into that calculation. I know, Edward, one of the things we were talking about last week with the Starlink episode is that higher frequencies tend to be attenuated more so they cannot travel far. And how does that affect the 5G technology? As you were saying, right, the ability to use this low band, mid band and high band range is that when you get into dense populous areas, you now can use that lower band to go through big areas like buildings possibly or you can use this really high frequency to be able to be in direct line of sight. Mm -hmm. So that high frequency, right, the molecules from an atomic level, those molecules absorb that Mm -hmm. and they start to vibrate and they start to move. And so then some of the information that you're sending gets trapped in that because that's all you're sending is you're sending energy in a sense is this information. And then over time, you can lose that. But now what that really great being able to use at a high range, like you were saying, sure, I'm from this low to be able to get through those obstacles, or if you're really in line of sight to be able to get really high pushes. And I think, Shriram, if I'm not wrong, there have been some companies that are starting to make structures that are more widespread to be able to reach people. So that they can actually take use of the line of sight of those higher frequency bands in the gigahertz range that don't go through buildings or go through glass. Yeah, the 4G LTEs, they can, the 900 megahertz, I don't know what the distance between the towers is needed, but it's in the miles. You can get good connectivity, mile, mile and a half from a tower. But with the millimeter wave, the 29 gigahertz, the 39 gigahertz stuff, it doesn't really happen that way. So you need multiple of these mini towers, micro towers, nano towers that various carriers are putting together. But these mini towers are not that small. So I know recently there was a big article, I think on the Houston Chronicle about Verizon and Verizon is rolling out 5G technology for the home internet. And what they are doing is They're putting these mini towers in the neighborhood 
And these things are humongous. They're size of a big HVAC unit that you have on the side of your house, but they're putting it in front of people's houses in their yards because I guess it's considered county right of way. And so Verizon doesn't need to get homeowner permission to put these things. And they're just going around Houston, putting these big freezer sized mini towers, as they call them, or fixed infrastructure for their 5G rollout. And obviously it's causing a lot of consternation. It's been interesting to me to hear about those things because I think it's sort of an age-old challenge in a way, updating the system where previously the towers have been built so that they can be able to reduce the amount of towers that have to be designed so that you can be able to cover the most areas. And now when you have these areas where a tree will take out the energy of that millimeter wave faster than it will the low frequency one. And now you have to get even closer. So it really makes it interesting of not just having to update all those towers, Mm -hmm. but also having to add towers. And I know in San Francisco, there had been people years ago that had started to put these hubs outside of rooms or on the tops of buildings and connect an ethernet cable into it so that it could project the Wi-Fi signal to try to do the sort of a democratized internet system. Mm-hmm. And it's a really interesting problem mm-hmm. of how badly the trade-off of if the only way to get to it, to get these speeds, is to have these generator sizes yeah. out front or to not have the speed. It's an interesting problem, and it makes me think of, at least in my house, we have a electrical distributor out front that's covered in bushes, <laughs> right? Because for homeowners, it's kind of gaudy. What they'll need to do is something that they've done with the cell phone towers all over the country is disguise them as trees. They'll just disguise them as bushes. But the important thing is that it has to be an RF transparent bush. So it can't be a real bush. (laughs) It needs to be RF transparent so that that millimeter wave can get from the box to your home, to your Mm -hmm. phone, be able to provide that data because – That's what a lot of people are going to have to determine is, am I willing to have this gaudy box in order to have superior speeds to what we have now? Me being a dinosaur, I remember the days where a website would load and you'd get the first bar, you know, first quarter of your screen, then the next quarter, the next quarter, the next quarter, and then you'd scroll and need to reload again. The speeds we have now compared to 20 years ago is just obscene. And in the next 20 years, we'll have... The people that have what we have today are going to be, that's insanely slow. We need to stop. So it's just interesting seeing where it's going for sure. <laughs> and following along with that, with same vintage, so I can remember those aspects in my family, we had dial-up internet. So when you were on the internet, you couldn't make a phone call, right? Mm-hmm. That was the trade-off, was only one thing could go through the line at a time. Mm-hmm. So you could either be on the internet or you could be calling a friend. And so if anyone tried to reach you, it was always funny to me because in my family, basically after 6 p.m., you understood you just didn't call people after 6, maybe 7, because then you hit dinner, so family time, and then you hit internet time, and then you're asleep. Good courtesy is you don't call after 9. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny because just talking about the speeds, let's put some numbers on it. So dial up 56K, right? That's how fast it was. Then you had DSL and modem, which was... One to two megabytes per second, which was amazing at that time. I'm talking about cell phones with 3G, 
and 3G plus, you are hitting around 10 megabits per second. 4G LTE and 4G LTE advanced, you are hitting 60 megabits per second if you were near a good area with a good phone. And with 5G, what they are promising is that you'll be able to hit gigabits per second. They're not there yet. We're still at the initial phases. And typically users are seeing 120, 150 megabits per second. But within the next few years, they're saying that people will be able to hit gigabits per second. The interesting thing is with all technology, as more and more technology is being introduced, it sort of becomes easier in a sense because prices will start to become cheaper. People will start figuring out what the problems were, right? That's the advance of technology is that constant problem solving to be able to look and say, okay, so this costs us X amount and we have to put it in a person's front yard as a massive generator. But eventually we'll be able to start moving towards Maybe people start getting an attachment on their mailbox, the street lamps that are also distributing the signal and be able to to more effectively work it into Mm -hmm. the environment as it rolls on. I do want to make a point that these things are not small. These are huge right now. Yeah. You cannot disguise it as an R2-D2. You can only disguise it as Java the Hutt. And because they're able to achieve these gigabit speeds... Now you're talking about speeds that are pretty close to cable and Fios speeds. And so Verizon is rolling out the 5G technology first for their home internet service, not for their wireless service. So Verizon 5G Home is where they're rolling out the 5G technology. And what's really interesting that I was finding is that companies now are starting to make the decision between buying a private 5G network Mm -hmm. system or moving on to Wi-Fi 6 because Mm -hmm. the speeds are now comparable. So do they want to be using a Wi-Fi system or do they want to be using this 5G personalized system? It's an interesting conundrum because I don't think anyone would ever thought that a mobile internet system was going to be faster than Wi-Fi at the beginning. But, I mean, we talked about it last week with Starlink. At a time when it's fully functional and if the vision is realized, that that will be faster than even the current Wi-Fi speeds. So then that's kind of the game that companies have to play and 5G networks have to play. That's where the business comes in. And looking at this introduction of these different systems, especially talking about the Starlink system and the trade-offs, Uh, especially with the new technology and the development into the future. I guess you have to always look at the business aspects and how much the cost is and what the money to be made is. Uh, Jim, do you have any insights on that matter? I have some numbers from what Qualcomm, again, might be a little skewed because that's what they believe and they have a lot of investment in those 5G chips they make. But uh, they believe that it will be a... $13.2 trillion of economic global input of money. Mm -hmm. Just by being able to put this out, they'll add $13.2 trillion to the market. They believe that with that, 22 million new jobs were created. Again, this is a global estimate that they're putting out. I'm just quoting what Qualcomm's saying, not necessarily what will or will not happen. If you can think about it as well, 
when I was reading and they were talking about the introduction of the iPhone in 2007 and then subsequently the Android, the introduction of 3G almost enabled the App Store because now you can be able to get information quick enough to be able to have games and, and interactive systems. And how much money has the app system between Google and Apple, ZT, I mean, all the systems that have been developed around it. The wireless carriers definitely see the potential in this thing. This week, the FCC closed out the record auction for C-band, something in the 3.3 range. And they sold that frequency band for about $80 billion. And it was double the previous record. There is a lot of potential in 5G technology. And other than the Verizons and AT&Ts of the world, one of the other big players in 5G in the US is this private company called Seaspire. What Seaspire is doing is they're doing 5G home internet. They are based out of Mississippi and they have essentially wired entire state of Mississippi with this 5G internet. They're providing high-speed internet access for $50. We talked about some of this last week. Rural internet service is very important. A lot of the places, even in the US, is vastly underserved when it comes to high-speed internet. And because of this 5G technology, now more people have access to high-speed internet to start their online businesses or work remotely. And if people have jobs that can be done remotely, maybe they'll be willing to move to Mississippi if they're able to do it from there. This just opens up so many things, this access to high-speed data. Following along those lines, when I was looking into it and they were talking about different business problems that could be solved with it. Now you could potentially have a true live streaming system to be able to be in Mississippi and watching a factory in Brazil or India or China, some other country or place in the world. Now you can be able in real time, be able to monitor it and know very quickly if something's going wrong or if you need to update something to change something, I mean, that ability is just an amazing opportunity. The latest numbers that I saw from January 2021, this was reported by PricewaterCooper. They had it that 75% of the U.S. has some sort of 5G technology, maybe not the millimeter wave everywhere, but some sort of 5G technology is available in 75% of the country. And they expect that number to keep increasing the rest of this year. Most of this technology right now is in the big cities. So AT&T has their millimeter wave right now in 36 major cities. They have their low band 5G networks in an additional 395 areas, according to their posts. So it's starting out at the high density populations where you have more users and more potential revenue and then slowly getting out there, hopefully gets out there everywhere. Talking about some of the opportunities and the differences between the Starlink and 5G of these different communication systems, I can talk personally because we doing this as we've been recording it, my Wi-Fi internet connection went out and I had to reset my whole system and took 15 minutes. It's a long process. It would be great to have something a little bit more stable and to be able to reach it. So right now I'm in rural Tennessee, but if I was still in New York and I was in an apartment building, I don't think I'll be able to reach a Starlink 
connection because Mm -hmm. otherwise I probably have to have one of the user terminals on the roof for just myself. But with this 5G, it can be densely populated areas and be able to reach a lot of people, right? Versus on the side where you maybe have a moving car, that might be better to be able to reach the Starlink as most of our roads don't have anything above them. You can be able to reach the sky immediately. One thing that I think is really cool is that NTT Docomo has been working with a glass manufacturer to be able to make a special coating that will allow 28 gigahertz wave lines to go through windows so that the signals won't be so disruptive and you can get better connections on the inside. So it'll be really interesting to see that different applications of right going through windows versus connecting into the sky on, on an open sky. Yeah, so hopefully with those types of technologies, you wouldn't need as many of those giant freezer boxes uh, in the future in order to propagate millimeter wave. We'll have just completely uh, buildings made out of just glass so that we can (laughs) send all of the connections through them. And the question we're all really dying to know, Edward, is does 5G cause coronavirus? No, but... If you have any other questions, you can reach out to us at IOIT podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Yep. IOIT podcast at gmail.com. With that, thank you everyone for listening. For IOIT, I'm Sriram. I'm Jim. And I'm Edward. See you all next week. Bye. See ya. Uh-oh. No, Edward. I, I think Edward needs 5G technology. What happened? I think his computer rebooted or something. Are you back? Nope. You guys like that's just derailing, you know. Yeah. It's it's gonna be like uh, you know, Jim's mom, my mom, your mom emailing. Why don't you guys call us anymore? <laughs> I call my mother all the time. <laughs> I live with But my you mom. can never call enough, that's the thing. All right. Should I start? All right. Action. Wait, what did I start with? Oh, okay, sorry. No, I forgot uh, I started the question. You had one job, Jim. All right, stop. If you have other questions, you can feel free to reach out to us at ioitpodcasts at gmail.com. Podcast. That's what he said. Yeah. I heard S. Oh, spell it out. You can reach us at IOIT podcast, singular P O D C A S T, at gmail.com. Perfect. All right, let's do it again. Let's do that. We can cut that whole thing. Okay. I'm going <laughs> to. I'm going to leave this in. This is going to be at the end of the episode. <laughs> I'm editing this one. No, Edward, he's closed. Sorry, you This is the internet episode where we can't get connection. <laughs> all right, all right, one more time. <laughs> yes. You cannot disguise it as a R2D2. You're going to have to disguise it as, like, you know, I don't know, a giant robot from Star Wars. I, I don't know Star Wars very well. <laughs> sure, um, you lose a nerd card for that one. <laughs>